welcome to Trust the Journey. I'm Jason Malinsky. Our mission is to live, laugh, love, and learn together with you. We're here to create conscious connections, to grow and contribute through our practice of openness, honesty, vulnerability, humility, and trust. Trusting the entire journey. Across the internet, you can find us at trustthejourney.today. That'll get you directly to our website. You can find us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Instagram. And if you'd like to support the show, we'd really ask if that you would please subscribe on any one of those channels. Specifically, YouTube is going to help us go a long way. Really appreciate that. Go ahead, like, share, send this show out to anybody that you think will gain value from any one of our episodes, that mouth-to-mouth uh person-to-person contact when you're sharing something goes a long way and that's what we're here to do so uh (laughs) mouth-to-mouth contact goes a long way mouth-to-mouth contact yeah (laughs) real world yeah yeah so if you would like to become a supporter of the show you can support through patreon if you go to trustthejourney.today, there's a big orange button right at the top. Click that'll get you through to Patreon. And if you do choose to support us on Patreon, that will get you membership into the Trust the Journey family, which is a curated Facebook group where we provide and can, and set a stage for a safe emotional space for people to share into. It's a really wonderful group and all of our guests on the show get to be part of it. So. Our guest today, Brett Kistler, will get to now become part of the Trust the Journey family, which is a long time coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will also like to take a moment and thank our editor, Kimberly Joy Voice, for all of her work to edit and post the show. If you need any podcast editing services, please feel free to reach out to her at KimberlyJoyVoice.com. If you want to get me, you can find me at jasonmoletsky.com. If you want to reach Melanie, you can get Melanie at melaniecurtis.com. And today we have a guest on the show. We're going to be hosting another one of our series of walking each other home. We've got Brett Kissler with us today. Say hi, Brett. What's up, everybody? Thanks for having me, Jay. Yeah, it's a pleasure. I've been really looking forward to this for a long time. Uh, Walking each other home is a series on our show here that is based on a quote from Ram Das. It's about the context that this journey, this life is a collective journey. We're on this journey together. We're not doing it alone. And the way that we're going to get through this journey most easily, the most beautiful way to transition through this experience is to do it together, to walk each other home and to support each other on this journey. So this show gives me an opportunity to bring some of my favorite people my favorite deep thinkers, my people who understand this concept on and talk about this deeper experience and how it's a collective journey together and and connect. So I'm very, very excited to welcome Brett Kistler to the show today. And um, let me tell you a little bit about him before we dive into our discussion. Brett is one of my dearest friends. Uh, He sits on my personal board of directors. There's only six people on that board, and he's one of those seats. We I have huge admiration for Brett. We've traveled the world together. We've been to the Arctic. We've been all over many, many continents. We've jumping off rocks and buildings, uh, diving into our own psyches together. We've supported each other through massive journeys and transitions in our relationships and our places in the world. He is the founder of Clearview and he has also a podcast host 
The Art of Accomplishment, which you co-host with your friend, co-host's name is? Joe Hudson. Joe Hudson. And I got to, yeah, I got to enjoy Joe and Brett working together at Burning Man, which we've been to a number number of times together, which is another place where we've connected. And and Joe and, and Brett in their, you know, when they're in their space, it's just wonderful to watch them work. So fantastic yeah yeah thanks for the intro we've been we've been walking each other home for a long time jay it's true yeah Yeah, very very true yeah yeah i'm so happy to see you i missed you i haven't i haven't talked to you in like i don't know what since april maybe maybe for uh it's been a while it's you know memorial yeah 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 and so that's a bit longer of a gap than usual i feel like we've typically kept pretty connected Minus for Burning man i forgot about that we did connect yeah, to Burning man of course we did but it was yeah. pretty momentary you know we yeah. really we didn't get much time together um but the we've kept a pretty solid connective friendship for over a decade now and it's been you know all over the world whether we're in switzerland or turkey or you know norway or the canadian arctic you know next going on expeditions together you know and really yeah. some so many good adventures but no, yeah, oh my gosh, you know, Dukes just invited me to go on another trip and I was like, how much, when is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about you. How are you? Yeah, Tell me I'm, if there's anything I missed and just, yeah. I mean, you pretty much nailed it right there. That's that's a lot of what's been going on for me. Um, also engaged, really excited about that. Um, oh yeah, congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm coming out. I can't wait. Yeah. Yeah, starting another business. Can't talk about it much, but I'm really excited. It involves tech coaching and bringing more access to coaching to people who could really, really use it. Um, and that's the thing that I'm really, really looking forward to. Uh, yeah, what else? Um, these days, I've been living in California, living in Berkeley. Um, haven't jumped off of anything for a whole pandemic. Had mm. a little bit of a pattern interrupt there. Uh, Though I, I definitely find myself frequently daydreaming about adventure of some kind, particularly with you, like something like our Arctic trip, and it doesn't even need to be jumping or not jumping, but I'm just like, yeah, thinking about that. So I, I so remember much out of those. a little while ago, it was kind of early pandemic or even pre-pandemic, you uh, confided in with me, confided in me with about the challenges that you were having with specifically with wingsuit base jumping and whether or not you felt comfortable continuing to pursue that passion and kind of where it was sitting because it's such a dangerous endeavor and you were really, you know, like me, enjoying life, like loving life and going, whoa, do I want to keep doing this thing that might end my life really quickly? And so I'm curious if you still feel that way or or like where you're at with it these days yeah yeah that, that's been a journey so kind of where i think you're referring to might have been somewhere around like the 2016 era where you know we had just lost a number of people we lost johnny we lost jvh and i remember one time after one of the after one of the vegas conventions um my partner at the time annette and i were talking we we're like man we just keep losing so many good people every year between between each of these conventions, we just lose so many, so many good people. And, you know, all of us have some kind of story about how it's not going to be us. And some of those stories are, have some validity. And there's also a certain amount of luck and certain amount of, you know, you you can't see your own blind spots until it hits you in the face. So you just don't know what you're blind to until you're 
until you see it. So there's there's a lot of uncertainty there. And I remember both of us saying, man, like, what would really what would really make me take a step back? Like, what like I can't well, who who could I imagine, who could I not imagine losing, both from a perspective of like a friend and also from the perspective of somebody that I would not imagine losing because I consider them to be uh, to be, you know, deeply conscientious as jumpers. And that was, we both just immediately thought like JDH. Uh, and the next person we thought of was, you know, Jimmy. Another one we thought of was Jay. So watch out, Jay. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, so then, you know, when I was in, uh, I was in Uganda with, um, with Mitch and yeah. I get a, I get a message on my sat phone um, on my inReach, you know, we were out there in the bush looking for some places that might be possibly jumpable, might've just been a choss pile, you know, you're on a Mitch Potter adventure. Yeah. That's what that is. Yeah. yeah. Mitch Potter adventure. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's, on a, those. it's a, it's a Mitch Potter adventure. Plus just one of those, we've never actually done any wingsuit base jumping here and nobody that we know of has. So what we might find might be that we're on top of a cliff that looks maybe mildly jumpable as the sun is setting and we don't really have a way to backtrack where we came from. So you're highly incentivized to talk yourself into making, you know, those, those are some, some moments where you, you're highly likely to find yourself in a situation where you're like, how did I find myself here? What decisions did I make (laughs) to get myself onto this rock right now? Uh, Oh my gosh. And we were just on our way beginning that mission. We were on like a 14 hour drive uh, across Uganda and we're stopping for gas and I get, a message on my on my inreach from Annette and it's an inreach so there's not many characters it just says JVH went in and it was just a gut punch to my well to my gut to my chest to everything to my being <laughs> to my heart yeah and uh yeah so I sat with that for the for the remainder of the the week or two that we were there while here I am exploring wingsuit base jumping in this new place and we keep meeting new people. There's a lot of like local kind of politics. If you want to make it to the top of a mountain, you need to meet the locals, talk to the chief, get permission, let, you know, drive them to the nearest hill where their cell phone has coverage to call whoever their chief is and talk about what kind of $20 payment you might make to make everything to have their blessing, like whatever. There's all these politics going on. And while that's happening, people are like, wow, look at what, what is it, what are you doing? And you're showing them these wingsuits and they're like, so excited. What is this? And meanwhile, I'm just like occasionally just bursting out in tears. And there's probably mm-hmm. these, you know, Ugandan locals seeing the first white person they've seen in like a decade in some of these parts, at least we were told. And they're like, why is this dude just walking down the street crying his face off? What's going on? Mm. You know, white people are strange. Um, and for me, I just had this, you know, these, they certainly are this juxtaposition of here I am out there exploring the world to the deepest extent that I can, the, to the deepest extent that I know how the, to celebrate my life and existence, to the deepest extent that I know how. And at the same time, I'm like, and this exact behavior cost me one of our, you know, one of, one of, one of my most beautiful people in this community and to, to many of us. And I was just sitting with both of those things and found it, found that quite difficult. Um, so I came okay, out of so it. Yeah. Can I, can I pause you there? I'd like to touch on two things that you said that were really kind of the, like the key things about what this show is about. 
One yeah. is that you're exploring the world to the greatest depths that you know how. Like you're you're using every potential that you know of to just explore and be curious. And the other is that we're losing people who are like our emblematic ideas of what it means to be a real person, an authentic, beautiful, loving, you know, carefree, true version of self. So that's the juxtaposition where this show comes into play, because what's the first thing we start talking about here is, you know, the finality, right? Mm -hmm. The mortality, the mortality factor that, that this life contains. So we want to go explore the world with our, you know, free, free curiosity, childlike mind, just go and just go see what's out there. And we want to live our lives emblematic of people like JVH or Jimmy, who are just characters that that resonate with this frequency. And then we know there's a, a, a mortality factor that's unavoidable. So how do you how do you embrace these things to let yourself be all of those things? Yeah. Yeah. And another way, how do you let the paradox fall away? Yeah. You know, to, to integrate both sides of it, that like mortality is part of it. The journey, the journey that we've all been on is one of the reasons why there's such a high, like high density of people who are deeply loving and deeply free in, in our world, in our, uh, you know, in our, in our sport. Um, and you know, along certain dimensions and I'm, we are also a population of people that have certain similar blind spots as well. Um, and so that's one of the things I started to notice. And at that time, I, I, I came out of that trip from Uganda and I continued on to Switzerland and I just started to really pay attention to what it felt like to be jumping. Um, and so I, I went up to Jungfrau, which is a jump that I've done, you know, I don't know how many dozens of times, just yeah, one of those backyard jump. jumps. Yeah. yeah. That's it's amazing. It is, it is beautiful. And just one of my, one of my staples, if I was feeling in a bad mood, I would go up there and I'd make a jump and I'd be whatever emotionally stuck in me would clear at least to some extent. And I'd have some spaciousness. And so I went up there to, to do that and sit with myself. And I noticed that on this particular hike, as I hiked up that, hiked up the mountain, I kept having these memories come to me. I'm like, Oh, this is the rock where I sat on with Johnny strange and ate, you know, raspberries or, you know, just like I, there were, there were seven people that came to my mind on that hike that I had hiked that hike with that were not with us anymore. And so I, you know, there's to some extent you can kind of get yourself into sort of a, like, woe is me, woe is the world kind of place with rumination. And also there was just a deep reflection in it of like, you know, what was I going to say to, to Johnny's parents? I and mean, what if they're listening to this now? You know, he was, he was young, early twenties, something. Um, mm -hmm. and it was just like, well, what was I going to say to them? Like to, to justify what we were doing at the time was, this was the thought I was in. I was like, am I going to say, yeah, but we, it was so beautiful out there. You don't know what we experienced together in those mountains. And they're like, we raised him. We spent far more time with him than you did. And like, how much do you really know him just from climbing mountains and jumping off of them together? Like to some extent, mm -hmm. we know each other very deeply by doing this together. And to some extent, we still have a way of showing each other just certain parts of ourselves that are the way we want to be seen as, as jumpers and as explorers. And so I started to notice that there actually had been all along, there's like, there's a story that felt important to me. 
And um, sometimes that story became a little bit more important than exploring what was real for me at the time. And uh, tell me, tell me more about that. Tell me more about that story. Yeah, the story, you know, the story being like, you know, earlier on, early on in life, I started to recognize that the more adventurous and courageous things I did, the more, the more embodied I felt and the more, um, the more confident I felt. And the more, you know, the more experience I gained. And then so I was like, well, clearly, the thing that would gain me the most experience be the most courageous thing to do must be the thing that's better for me in the long run. And so I started to develop an identity around it, where I'm like, I wouldn't yeah. stop doing this. And this, I've heard some of us say this in the sport before, where it's like, I'll never stop because stopping would mean giving up. Oh, can I pause? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I just recorded a little video, like a little snippet of myself this morning, thinking about the word surrender. Okay. This concept of giving up, right? Mm -hmm. This concept of like, I stop creating an identity that, it, that I call me that is basically in like an egotistical projection of self, right? Like I, I'm, I'm holding up an idea of what I believe in, what I've created to be like a version of self. And this idea of like surrendering is, it's, it's like, it's a bad word. Like you would never say the word surrender in the culture that we live in because it would mean giving up. And mm -hmm. that is absolutely juxtaposed to our, you know, Western ideological idea of like the conquerors, like we're going to win, right? And, and then the part that I'm really reeling with is I'm like, well, what if the force that you're surrendering to has your best interest at heart? Mm. Yeah. Then are, are we giving up? Or are we actually just receiving for yeah. once, like actually receiving? Yeah. Yeah. And a question that comes up for me around that is like, what are we surrendering to? You know, to what extent did I, did I start the journey by surrendering to the, some, you know, deeper energy in me that was ex like wanted to get out there and see what was possible for me in the world. And then at some point, at what point did I just start to surrender to the identity about what that meant for me? And like, you know, there's, there's like, you, you can surrender to an unknown will an unknown, seemingly unknown force from outside of what you understand your identity to be, or you can start surrendering to some kind of smaller identity and real not, not, not notice that you're actually missing out on a bigger aspect of yourself. And so this is something I noticed when I started to feel that the tension around the idea of what if I wasn't jumping anymore, mm -hmm. I noticed that there was there was like something stuck in it. And I'm like, Oh, I see. Like it used to be that my freedom was to be found in doing the scary thing. And now it's that both the scary thing and the freedom are to be found in the opposite of what it used to be for me, which is to entertain the idea of not be, not living in the identity that I've been living in for a while, even just to try it out. So I've always admired you. Um, for, for a long time, you were very emblematic of a person that I wanted to be. And in a sense, I wasn't that too far away. I mean, we had very similar lifestyles in, in that we were both world avid world travelers. And we were both high adventure seekers. And we both had the same type of identity based in like seeking fear and seeking risk in order to challenge oneself to like step up and grow and like overcome part of ourself, you know, 
but at the 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 part that I admired in you is this, you've always been a deep intellectual thinker and somebody that I respect that way and this like self-supporting digital nomad type mentality which to me also says you know I don't choose to fit into the box that is society and I choose to create my own limitless box to live in and I'm just going to wander the planet and just explore and just create and you know be- become whatever I'm going to become because of what I encounter, you know, and that growth is inevitable, but it's also unknown what it's going to be because what it's, we're going to be shaped by our experiences, but here come the experiences and let's bring them on, you know, and welcome them and who knows where they're going. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, in that there's a fearless nature, right? Because we know the change we know that when we have new experiences, it changes who we are. And that change means some part of our identity is going to disappear for in order for the new part to occur. So I've always admired that in you. And I want to kind of speak to that a little bit and, and hear your thoughts on how, who you are now mm-hmm. versus who you were, say, you know, 15 years ago before taking off to travel the world. How has it affected you? Where, how? How do you find yourself as a result? Who are you now? Yeah. Yeah. One way, one, one, one way to describe that sort of in riffing off of what you just said about fear and fearlessness. Um, and this is, this is one of the points that I described in a Ignite talk that I did recently. Uh, maybe we can add it to the show notes. If yeah, let's do that. Yet. Yeah, for sure. Um, one of the things that I, that I had a kind of a perspective shift on over the past 15 years has been my relationship to fear. Um, and I initially had approached fear as something that I could overcome, like an electric fence that I could just run through and get to the freedom. And that the more that I overcame it, the more fearless I would become, the more, you know, the more free I would be. And what I've started to come to realize is that, you know, over, over time, I had started to develop the identity of the fearless one, which was more constrained by fear than the identity of one who is afraid and not afraid and neither not afraid nor afraid like there with without any with with less conception of what my identity is with relation to fear i i can be in more wonder about what fear i actually am feeling and what that means for me at any given time so you know, it might be that i'm afraid of you know leaving walking away from or taking a long detour from a sport or an identity or a journey or a community that's meant a lot to me uh, and been a part of my identity for a long time, that's a certain kind of fear. Another kind of fear is continuing to jump in, in a way where clearly people who I consider peers in, in ability and uh, the ability to have like good judgment are also dying of repeatable mistakes. So it's like, you know, what, what fear would I be avoiding by continuing to jump if I don't actually trust that I have a handle on my psychology yet? And that was a thing that came up for me at that time. Now it's, it's actually shifted quite a lot. I do feel far more, uh, far more in touch with, with my driving psychology such that I feel like I can be a much safer jumper now than I was last, you know, last time I jumped or 
in this period, 2016, where these questions really came up and I started sitting with them. And there's a good chance that I'm still alive because I took a step back to, to consider it. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I don't know if, if I'll jump again, but I have, it comes up a lot. Uh, I do have some interest in jumping a couple of times here and there. And also that brings up the, the concern that it's, if you haven't been jumping for a number of years, you used to be quite experienced, you come back, make a couple of jumps. That's, there's a different level of risk than you're used to, you know, than what yeah. you used to have at that time. So, yeah. you know, so all those things. There's, come up a, for me. there's a little something that came up in what you were sharing there. And it has to do with this, like, identification of self and i want to touch on two areas this is the first one the in order to be uh fearless or to move towards our fears to overcome our fears there has to be a version of us so this is a perception thing there there has to be a version of us that is strong right like we need strength we need confidence Led. we need yeah, yeah. I, would, I would even flip that. Like, to to what extent do we need to be fearless rather than be in contact with our fear? And what is strength, if not the capacity to be with our fear and stay within ourselves and stay connected to all the other parts of ourselves and not just collapse into that fear or run from it? And I, I completely agree with that. And the other piece of this is is this concept of weakness, right? In a relationship to fear, like it's seen, we we make weakness like the opposite of strength right in in our minds somehow we're like oh if we're not strong we're weak and if we're weak then we're not addressing our fears or we're not willing to you know embrace our fears but i think that also there's a thing about accepting our weakness that is like mm. oh i'm we i'm weak absolutely and, and that in itself is something there like there's a huge fear of being of being weak Right. And so in, in sitting with that of like, you know, if I'm in, if I'm injured or I'm sick or I'm unable to care for myself and I just have to accept that I'm weak. And that includes if I can't care for myself, that's scary. You know, there's a fear inside of that. And so that, in, that in its nature is the same thing of like, just, I'm just going to sit with this and I'm just going to be with it and, and surrender to yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. At any given time I can, I can feel into myself and there's a part of me that feels strong and there's a part of me that feels weak. And there's some part of me for which that the entire concept of strong and weak aren't even relevant. It's more just like, how much energy do I have? What are the, you know, what, what is needed? What, what arises in me to do given the, the capacities that I currently feel. And the, the concept of like, if, if strong is good and weak is bad, in our, in our world model, in our model of self, then that whole flow of just seeing what's real, feeling for what's real, the, you know, playing it as it lies becomes constrained by like pushing away or craving, like to sort of like bring in some of the Buddhist stuff here, just like that. If there's, if there's a state that you want to be in that you think is good or better, which is to be strong, then you're going to create a life where you're avoiding being what you consider to be weak, which could be defined in a whole number of different ways from your patterning and your conditioning to, uh, you know, you might 
I could do yoga and do a posture that I haven't done before and feel very weak while I'm developing strength. So like if I can, if I can let myself feel weak, then I'm actually more free to do what could actually bring me into strength. Yeah. There's a note of resistance in this, right? Like uh, if we're resistant to the idea of weakness, we don't want to go there. We don't want to allow ourselves. It's like being a student of something, right? This is what you're, you're referring to. It's like, oh, I'm going to go and I'm going to do something that I'm not good at and I'm going to be bad at it. And in that, I'm going to learn because I'm being exposing myself to something that I'm not, is not a strength. So I'm actually leaning into a weakness, yeah. quote, you know, quote, quote, weakness, when it's truly just a part of ourself that we aren't exercising. Yeah. 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 And that's been a really interesting part of this. The, the journey over the past five or six years for me, six, seven, coming, like switching from a, being deep in a lifestyle where I'd become an expert and I was good at what I was doing. And the improvements that I was making were becoming more and more incremental mm -hmm. and then changing into a completely different kind of lifestyle where the fears are different. Uh, you know, whether it's, whether it's, you know, getting more into building a larger organization and business or whether it's coaching executives, which is, you know, I moved to, I moved to the Bay area six years ago from being a digital nomad you know, web developer. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, I've come up against this a lot where I'm just like, I feel like the absolute brand new guy here. Everybody else I know seems to have gone to like MIT or Brown together and have mm -hmm. been like building companies for years. And like, here I am now in a situation where I'm like coaching people who have, you know, built a company that's much larger than anything I've ever even worked in or operated or even interacted with in any meaningful sense. And so I get, I get to come up against all these new, like, ah, oh, I feel so weak. I feel so unprepared. I feel so not ready. And then like the, I, the really gratefully I've been able to, uh, work with, uh, my podcast co-host Joe Hudson, who has been very good as a, as a coach and mentor for me and bringing a lot of the things really, really just like re, re, reinvigorating a lot of the, the internal authentic drive that brought me into into a world of base jumping where I was doing things that very few people have ever done and then reapplied into a new area of my life and be like oh yeah like just because I was used to becoming used to being an expert in something like doesn't mean I can't deeply deeply enjoy being an absolute noob at something else and feeling all of the self-consciousness and all of the fear and all of the the little failures in it and that that is actually a sign of deep growth if i'm if i'm really welcoming it and allowing it to transform me and fuck up my ego that's always fun we've done a fair bit of that together yeah <laughs> <laughs> sharing down the ego yes we yeah. have yeah <laughs> so um if you know, if you've been listening to and following my journey at all, if you're part of our, you know, base jumping community, skydiving community, you know that Jimmy, my friend, Jim, our friend Jimmy went in um, wingsuit base jumping a little just over a year ago. And for me, that was a big check in to myself about what are the decisions I'm making and how am I going, what am I going to continue doing and not doing, you know, do I just go right back at it? 
and just carry on like nothing happened? Am mm-hmm. I going to pretend like this isn't going to affect me and I'm super strong and I'm just going to go jump some more, you know, because I mean, I've done that, you know, like yeah. I've done that version, you know, and I've even done more where I've taken and used it as a building block to like go and like surpass skills that my, you know, friends and mentors have had that, that they took to the grave with them. Um, and the reality is that, you know, I, I took a, a good little break for a while before putting myself back in those situations. And, you know, when I land back in them, I find myself, I, I still love it. You know, I love to climb to mountaintops and fly back down, but I also realized something in myself. And so I think maybe I hear the same thing. And part of what you're saying is that there's other risks to take, you know, I, love flying my wingsuit, but I don't want to die flying my wingsuit. And I don't want the experience of flying it to be scary. Like I don't want to land and feel like I was in truly in fear. Mm. You know, most of the or jumping that fear. I, or, yeah, most yeah. of the jumping that I do, the stuff I do, I'm, I actually don't experience fear. You know, like this is, I think this is something I, I've been wanting to kind of talk about for a while now is, if I climb up to a mountain and gear up and jump off and land, there's probably not any fear happening in that. It's probably more like exalted, like presence and real, like a heightened awareness and really just, you know, very, very, very present. And what's the difference between those things to you? Is like a a comfort, like uh, Mm. a familiarity, like a, a certain amount of like, I've done this enough times that I'm not in a situation that puts me on my heels where I don't know how to react. You know, I'm controlling mm-hmm. the variables to a point where they fall within a set of, of predeterminate possibilities, you mm-hmm. know, and I'm not going to choose into situations where I am now going to have a whole bunch of new variables occurring. Uh, and when those do happen, I get scared. I experience fear. And I now have to manage stress and I have to work through them. But I don't really want that in, in my experiences. I'd rather have less stimulating experiences and keep them in a very, you know, uh, you know used air quotes, controlled mm-hmm. type of situation, at least in those like life-threatening environments. And now I'll, I'll caveat this of where we're going is like, okay, Now I'm going to do this. I'm going to put myself in scary situations that I'm not comfortable with that are going to be unexpected things happening, but they're not life-threatening. They're Mm ego-threatening. Right? What happens if I get in a corner and I don't know what to do in this conversation? Right. Right? That's where the real nuggets are, right? Because if I get, get it wrong and I die, well, that's stupid, you know? To me, to me, like, 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 oh, I got it wrong. The outcome is it ends like the journey ends. But if I get it wrong because I tried a really tough situation of like, you know, put myself in a tough situation where like I don't know the answer. My ego gets afraid. What what goes wrong? I have to reach out for help. I have to connect. But but even even, like, so just a moment ago, you're like, I'm like, I don't want to do that because then like if I die that way, then that's stupid. And it's like, well, then what is the fear under that? Like if I were to die in a way that I deem to be stupid and I'm like predicting Hmm. that might occur, what fear am I feeling presently that I'm resisting? Like, yeah, you know, I might totally die in a way that's seems stupid. 
I might stupid, say something. Yeah. I might say something incredibly stupid on this podcast. I probably already have. And, I did. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's like, what is what is the what is the meaning or importance of if if something is stupid, rather than just being what we are and being present with it? And so, like back to back to sort of the the place where you're talking about, where like I don't want to feel. Uh, I don't want to feel a like debilitating level of fear, just like, like, like I'm afraid on a base jump. And I'm just noticing the irony of somebody who got into base jumping saying that like, I, I just want a level of, you know, I want to be able to manage the variables and feel confident in the situation and not feel like I'm going to die. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm going to skip the desk job and go jump off of cliffs instead. Um, cause that's the thing I can manage. Like there's just a hilarious irony to that. Um, and I think one of the things that like betrays uh, that I've discovered is there's like, there's the part of me that doesn't want that would resist, uh, a level of fear that I don't feel ready for. And then there's a part of me that just subconsciously seeks it out sometimes consciously. And so, oh, wait, wait, I got it. Okay. So the choosing into something dangerous. Okay. Like, so and this is the, the stupid concept, like, okay, if, if I choose into something that's well above my skill level, or has a whole bunch of variables that I know are going to add a potential of the outcome being that I'm going to fail, mm-hmm. then it's, it's to, at least to me, like, it's, it's stupid to add on a whole bunch of things. Okay. And so this is the tendency of our, like, our culture is to like, I'm going to keep adding stuff until it's so complicated that it inevitably fails, right? And and, mm-hmm. and this is beautiful. I mean, I love this what about a beautiful our species. Way to learn. Yeah, yeah. This, this is how we work, right? Like we just keep adding and adding and adding until it's like poof, it doesn't work anymore. And you're like, okay, we got to change something or back off, try some yeah. new options, and just keep going. But you know, for at least for the individual, when we pull back to the egoic self and you know this the mortal journey, then if we make that mistake where it ends the journey, then we kind of missed out on more opportunities to explore. So we don't want to make that right. We want to stay away from it uh, and, you know, kind of avoid it. So it's ironic that we have this tendency towards keeping adding things until it doesn't work. So let me pause. If I know that the potential outcome is fatal, then why would I keep on adding stuff on here? Well, I want to be fearless. I want to grow. I want to adapt. I want to be challenged. I want to feel this need, like, uh, I want to feel the pressure to think through whatever I have to do, flow, flow through whatever is challenging me mm-hmm. and come out the other side. So, all right, well, if we recognize that ends up in fatality, hold on, push that to the side for a second. I can still do this in other ways, right? Like I can put myself in an emotional corner where now I have to grow emotionally, or I can put myself in an intellectual corner where now I have to grow intellectually, or I can put myself into a connective corner where now I have to rely on others to help me, or I can put myself into a, um, you know, any situation where I'm forced to, uh, you know, overcome and adapt. And I think as fear seekers, you know, I want to say fear seekers, we're like, we're looking for the places that are going to challenge our egos. I don't really think that's in the the sky and in the mountains anymore yeah i mean and and it might turn back to be there again sometime and maybe in a different way but i i think there's just something that i've learned is just that there's this innate drive in us to evolve and to grow and a lot of the things that you were describing these like decisions that we think that we're making um are you know essentially optimization 
problems. They are like, how do I balance the opportunity cost of living a life where I'm avoiding death at all times to a life where I'm putting myself in, you know, right next to death in order to, you know, presumably gain something from that tangible or intangible. And so, you know, logically, these decisions are impossible to make because we live in a world of imperfect information with very limited, like, logical capacity, which is where fear comes in, emotions in general, but fear in particular for this particular case, which is that, like, your fear is the signal that is showing you a general sense of what you perceive is, is before you, you know, like if you are, if you're about to make a jump and you feel some tightness in your chest or in your gut, you, you know, as a, as somebody who's made thousands of jumps, you start to recognize that this is a very important signal and you can start to tell that signal being different from the elevated signal of just being, being ready to jump and being amped. You know, it's like, okay, there's a constriction going on. Is there something that I'm not actually paying attention to? Uh, equipment, wind, ego, jump plan, whatever, uh, versus am I just metabolically prepared to engage in this jump and is my attention sharp, sharpened by this fear? So the, something that somebody told me early on in my jumping career was that the other side of the coin of fear is excitement. And then more recently, I've loved the term fear is excitement without the breath. That's and so great. when, when you describe being on a jumper, you're like, I don't want to be in the fear that, you know, the fear rather than, you know, being in the joy and the excitement of it. What that brings up for me is I, I naturally want to not be in situations where I feel overwhelmed by the fear and that I can't actually process it because that's going to be dangerous um, and also not enjoyable. Um, and I do want to, I do want to have some level of like challenge processing the fear. That's why I got into base jumping. I want it, mm -hmm. I want it to feel like I'm growing. I want the fear to transform me. I want it to be something, but I want it to be a level of fear that is in, in balance with what I understand my skills to be and what, how I can, to to whatever extent I can read the variables and make decisions such that I feel generally quite confident that I can navigate the scenario, navigate the scene and be able to stay present with my, with the fear such that it moves through and becomes that joyful excitement, exhilaration of making a jump. Okay. So there's an interesting um, paradigm in here and we've been using jumping as the, you know, the version of fear. Yeah. But I'm going to switch that. Or stepping bit. out on stage and speaking. Yeah. Or looking inside of oneself. Yeah. So th this has been coming up a lot in my interactions with, with friends and um, some people that I've been working with lately in this feeling of being afraid of being scared to look inward. And some of the, the psychedelic experiences in the sense of like, oh, I'm, I'm afraid, you know, of what I might encounter. And I'm like, well, what else is in there except for you? Right? You're the only thing in mm -hmm. your, you know, internal experience. If you're just in your own head, there's nobody else in there except for you. So what are we afraid of? And then this, the concept of what we're afraid of comes back to, well, I'm afraid of 
you know, my own emotions. I'm afraid of feeling something and not feeling able to control it. So you were touching on this of like, when the fear gets out of control, or overwhelms me, and I don't know how to manage it, or I'm having trouble managing it. I would even say not managing, but just being with because like managing separates ourselves from it as though it's something we need to control, rather than that it is something that we absolutely don't control. Like our our conscious awareness is like a tip of an iceberg of our actual experience, our, our lived experience in any moment. So the idea that we're going to control our emotions is like quite untenable, except for like short term circumstances, where maybe and this, this is where we've, we've learned a lot of our, our personalities from, like, if being sad around your parents as a child, got them to say to you, like, nobody wants to see you cry then you're going to learn to control that sadness. But it's only going to be like a short-term thing. You're actually going to learn to suppress the sadness so that you don't have a further consequence occur. And then that's going to be baked into your personality. And then sadness is going to be bad for you. If you feel sadness, it's going to mean that you're weak. It's going to mean that you're going to be rejected. It's going to mean something about you. And then you might go into a psychedelic experience or a workshop or just have a, have a trigger come up in a relationship with a loved one where you feel you would feel sadness, but you've subconsciously shut it out and lose access to that signal in your life. And then, you know, you might believe that you're controlling it, but it's actually just being pushed into subconscious and it's running your life. Well, that's scary. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And exciting, you know, like how exciting is it to be like, whoa, hang on a second. So how many, how many patterns in my life have I not been aware of that I actually could become aware of? simply by stopping doing what I've been doing that has taken so much energy, which is stopping believing that I actually can control my emotions on a long time scale and that it's something that I have a responsibility or need to do rather than that just these emotions are actually deeply over us. Yeah. yeah. I had this really peculiar vision coming to my head as you were describing that scene and I imagined a little girl and she was wearing a kind of comfy pink sweatpants and she's probably like five or six years old and she's got a little cute sweater on and she's in front of her easy bake oven and she's putting her sadness in there and she's baking it in, you know, and she's telling her, oh, it's okay. So you could be sad. I'll put you in here, you know. <laughs> And you'll be safe in here. We'll put you, we'll make you into cookies, you know, and, <laughs> know where I've got this vision from. <laughs> yeah. But I, but I understand that part of this is this, this is like how the child's mind works, right? Like our intellect doesn't know how to process these things when we're so young. And we tell ourselves some kind of fairy tale story like this, right? Like we, we give ourselves a version that's at the level that we can comprehend and we put it into our our story of who we are, the ego version of self, and our and I've been playing with these words a lot lately, the subconscious or beneath our conscious, you know, the unconscious, the mm-hmm. part of us that we're not actually perceiving, which is actually a big piece of our consciousness and is responsible for I would say the large part of how we operate. You oh, absolutely. Know, like, yeah. So if we think about, you know, how do I walk from this room to that room down the hall? I don't have to think, okay, put your feet on the floor, start to apply pressure to your feet, stand up, get your balance, head that way. I just go do it. It's automatic, right? Like it is baked in. 
right? It is in there that I know how to get up and walk into the other room and get something and come back. So it's completely subconscious, all those motor functions, all those automated systems. And we forget how deeply ingrained so many of these emotional experiences are into our consciousness. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a palimpsest, which is one of my favorite words. Palimpsest Say is the again. word palimpsest. So it is the word for like a city that is just continuously built on top of itself such that you end up having like an old part of the city with like a new part of the city on top of it. And then there's like a, like a modern art venue inside an old, what used to be a synagogue or something like yeah. that's, that's a palimpsest. And our, our entire you know, consciousness is just this, like these layers of past experiences, many of them very much not yet processed or integrated that are, you know, baking in associations of our world. So it allows us to be able to quickly learn to ride a bike or walk a slack line. You start doing something and then eventually it starts to bake into, into that, into the those layers of the cake. And then you don't notice what's going on anymore. So you go through a daily, your daily experience and you don't realize how many tens of thousands of subconscious decisions you've made. Some of them being something simple, motor control, like how to walk across the kitchen without falling over into the knives and stabbing yourself. Sometimes being far more consequential in terms of uh, your social experience, like mildly dissociating on a Zoom call with a client or a boss or, you know, mildly disconnecting from your partner for the 13th time that day because you're afraid of hurting their feelings or them feeling disappointment, thus attracting the disappointment that you want, that you're trying to avoid and the aloneness that you've never fully let yourself feel. And all of these things are occurring and you're not aware that this is a decision you're making until you, until you do the inquiry and you start to notice and one of the things that's required for that to happen, or like at least something that really seems to speed it up, is to allow yourself to be whoever you might be. And this is one of the things I think people are afraid of when they go into, say, like in, into self-exploration, whether it's a psychedelic experience or, you know, base jumping or so, any, anything that brings you into contact with your, your yeah, deeper yeah. patterns in ways that just yeah. put you into a corner and make you have to face it is that people are like, well, what if I dis- like, what if I discover that part of myself that has, that I've deemed would be evil? Like I'm not allowed to be jealous because jealous is bad. And if jealous is bad, then if I feel jealousy, then I, I just can't let that happen rather than being like, Ooh, what's going on with this jealousy. There's clearly something in this that I want. There's something I care about. And it, there's this feeling associated with wanting and longing and yearning and there's all kinds of stuff about fairness coming up and like, what is, what is in there for me? What kind of unconscious decisions do I make throughout every single day to avoid feeling those things? And what's the cost and what's the oh, benefit? What has it done for me all my life? How, how helpful is it now? Or is it just vestigial and holding me back from what I really want? You, um, you said we put ourselves in situations where we we're backed into a corner where we have to deal with those things. And it made me realize I'm like, well, aren't we kind of just pretending that we're not in a corner all the time? Right? Like, <laughs> I'd just, say even, we act, I'd almost say the reverse. In, that we, we pretend that we're in a corner all the time. 
you know, like if you talk to basically almost anybody, you'd be like, what's going on for you? A lot of people will be like, oh man, well, I'm just not sure about what to do about this or that. Or like there's some somewhere in each of our lives that like very commonly part of the human experience is to feel like we're in a corner. And that corner is actually just between emotions that we want to avoid feeling. That if we were okay with feeling those feelings, the path would be clear to us. Oh my gosh, it's so true. So here's an interesting concept, right? So that palim palim quest, is that how you said it? Uh, Palimcest. Palimcest? Yeah. So I just watched a program last night where they were exploring the Peruvian um, archaeology. And there's a beautiful example of how there's this, the foundation of this particular building in Peru is built on this stonework, which nobody can explain how is so precise and how Mm -hmm. incredibly done. Yeah, I've seen it. It's awe-inspiring when you, when you're actually there and you're just like, what? How much does a stone weigh? What? How? Okay. So, (laughs) So this is like how we currently are operating, right? Where our gut, our instinct, that like deeper part of ourself is like hyper intelligent, like super, super smart. So this is an analogy for the entire species in the sense that our individual consciousness and our unconscious and our collective consciousness and history, our collective history have the same modality of like, we don't know how we got here. And but we are really, really smart in our past. Part of us is like hyper intelligent and has all these deeper awarenesses of how we're connected to the universe and the world and nature and, and everything that exists. And we've kind of forgotten it all and moved into this place where we're just kind of dumb, clumsily fumbling through life. And like, we don't want to experience our true selves, you know, whether that's our right now version of me as an individual you know, not acknowledging what got me to be where I am because of my experience. That's not to say that my true self isn't the part of me that is avoiding feeling that pain for 20 years, you know? That's all of them, right? (laughs) It is our our true self, yes. When I I say true self, I guess what I'm trying to say is like the the highest version of ourself, you know, the version of ourself that that accepts all versions of ourself. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, the version of ourselves that approaches approaches more inhabiting the oneness of the like the higher complexity of our subconscious and our physical like embodied, you know, organization as well as our species and our planet and where, you know, what what subconsciously drives our life, like yeah, all all these things you can you can tend to find wherever you're identified there's there's always something that might be exactly opposite of it and another thing that's just sort of between those two some part always of you that's might be, all of these all, I mean, always is something that is exactly opposite of it yeah yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm starting to feel like I'm splitting hairs a little bit now. Like so, I'm like, what so, is exactly opposite? Is there is there anything that is like, what's the exact yeah, opposite? You always of go a, down a the rabbit dog, hole. You always you know? want to get to like yeah. the detail, the finite <laughs> detail, right? Yeah. That's part of your intrinsic nature. But I liked something that you just said. Is instead of um, so there's this the pronouns are a really big thing in in culture, right? Like how do you identify? But you just said where what do you do identify like where and what do you identify so i'm curious how 
do you identify as far as this experience? What do you think's going on here? What's your version of reality? Tell me in reality. What do you, yeah, like, explain like, like, Brett's universe to me. Brett's, Brett's view of the universe? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Th- so Brett's view, which, oh boy. So I went down a couple, like a multi-year rabbit hole with like AI and machine learning (laughs) and neuroscience and started to see all these patterns places. So on an intellectual level, um, I would say that sort of the way that I view things is that there's just these learning adaptive systems that are fractally nested inside each other and not fundamentally different from the level of like, say, galaxies forming to the level of the like emotion in my body congealing around something that becomes a thought, like very similar dynamics occur across all levels. So I've started to have like my view of what is, what is intention? What is conscious become more and more diffuse. Um, I used to think it was like bizarre for somebody to say that the entire universe is conscious. Um, but I'm just, I have had a harder and harder time finding an actual division between what, like what would be conscious and what would not be conscious. Mm-hmm. So agreed. Yeah. So it's on an emotional level. I am a, like, I, I see the universe as just a sea of these dynamics that sometimes crop up into these little waves that have a more, uh, pinpoint experience that can be identified with itself such as we tend to be. So you just literally just define the universe as a particle and a wave, depending on which version it views itself as? Kind of like that, yeah. Which, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't want to get into basically like... basically the definition of quantum things. physics, yeah. Right. Yeah. But yeah, the, I, I noticed that there's like a, a very common thing that people do when they talk about quantum physics when they're not quantum physicists. And mm-hmm. I'm like wanting not to strongly do that, but I mm-hmm. do find a lot of poetry in the... Uh, a lot of, a lot of really good like poetry for, for, and what I'm, what I mean by that is that like, I don't need to take something as true, but if it's useful to me, like it's very useful to me, very helpful to me to imagine that you and I are not separate, distinct beings, but sometimes it's useful to imagine that we are. Sometimes it's useful to imagine that we're not because what are we, if not, you know, some you know, situated in a field of dynamics that are much greater than whatever we might identify ourselves as. Like any, anything we might identify ourselves as is a product of history, product of our past, a product of our genetics and epigenetics and our life experience. And so to be able to be in the, to hold the paradox fully or more fully of that, I believe I am a certain way or a certain person, which means, you know, like with a certain outline carved around my identity, or I believe I'm none of those things, then I can, the more I sit in that paradox, the more I can have the freedom to be whatever it is that comes up in me. So the the question isn't like, what am I from a perspective of like, how can I answer this question and figure it out? It's more like, how can I ask the question, what am I in a way that blows apart my ideas of what I think I am so that I can see more deeply? And then act and behave and live from more nuanced information 
and more nuanced sensation in my body and more nuanced uh, access to interconnectedness and intuition such that I don't have to believe that I am responsible for making decisions that are impacting me and others and that there'd be like guilt associated with it and oh what if I'm weak like all of that doesn't need to exist if I and this is what I this is I guess a, a source of a form of a form of surrender just recognizing that everything that I think about myself is a theory it's an idea sometimes ideas are very useful I don't need to have no ideas about myself but when I find one, I can see what, what's outside of that. What's, what's beyond it. How useful is that thought? How do I feel when I have that thought? You know, this is where some of like Byron Katie's work and some of the, a lot mm. of like tools and practices for self-inquiry and exploring, you know, a critical voice in the head kind of stuff comes in. So do you think the, I mean, the, the Buddhist ideology of like, anytime we attach to one of those ideas, right? Like if we, have an idea of who we think we are or what well where or what we think we are as soon as we attach to it we start identifying with it then we're trying to you know we're creating a version of ourselves that we're like holding on to instead of just accepting that we're we are all first mm-hmm. like everything you know at all it's all just everything you know yeah i mean the buddhists There's were onto it stoics were onto it all, all yeah. kinds of different traditions and religions have some component of it yeah along with all their own other stuff yeah brett i love listening to you talk man it's always such a pleasure can you tell us more about where our audience can can listen to you yeah absolutely how they can listen to you yeah so you can listen to me on the art of accomplishment podcast uh we're on all the major podcast things um you can also go to artofaccomplishment.com. uh i also have a website brett.kistler.life um and yeah, that's where you can find us. If you want to, there's, there's a lot of courses that we do at the art of accomplishment that are, some of them are online. Some of them are in, are in person. Uh, so if you want to practice some relational tools that explore, uh, explore relating with people sort of from beyond the identity and also practicing some tools for vulnerability, impartiality, empathy, and wonder, which is a acronym for a framework that we use in the work. Um, then uh, that's a that's a great place to look. Where can we find that? Uh, that is on the art of or artofaccomplishment.com. Artofaccomplishment.com. Yeah. And you, listen to the I podcast for a little while and you'll questions will pop up in you and I'm sure they'll find your way to it. Yeah, I, I'm gonna take you up on that because I would like to experience some more of that. Having had just a taste of it, uh, it was wonderful and I found it very insightful. And some of those lessons have carried into how I move through every day. So Thank you so much for being on the show today. And um, thank you so yeah. much for your friendship. Thank and you. I just deeply appreciate you. You're just one of my favorite intellectual beings in this wonderful journey. And thanks for walking me home. And um, thanks for being here today. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for being there, walking me home for all this time. I'm really grateful you reached out and we got this on the books. I've been wanting to do this forever. So awesome. yeah, thanks for taking that initiative. Yeah, my pleasure. If uh, you enjoy this show, please feel encouraged to share it with anybody you think might get some value from it. If you'd like to support uh, Trust the Journey, you can do so by subscribing 
on YouTube, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram. You can like, you can comment, you can share. We read all the comments. So if you want to get a hold of us directly, you could reach out on Instagram DMs or you can find myself, jasonmolenski.com, Melanie, melaniecurtis.com. If you want to get to Brett, he's brett.kissler.life. Yeah. Yeah. And if you'd like to be part of the Trust the Journey family, just go to trustthejourney.today, click on the Donate Now button on Patreon. $1 a month will get you into the Trust the Journey family, and that is an emotionally safe and guarded space where we all support one another, where we all walk each other home, where we all enjoy the ridiculous nonsensical journey that we're on and explore ourselves and each other's willingness to be part of it. And we'd love to have you on there. So any donation level on Patreon will get you into that group. If you need podcast editing, reach out to KimberlyJoyVoice.com and she's got you covered. I think that's it. Thanks, everybody. Beautiful. Thanks, Brett. Yeah. Thank you, Jay. Yeah. Love you. Love you too.